those words, the ones the goddess of creation just spoke. They were impossible. Jima was immortal. She couldn't die. I looked down at Jima and she was cocooned in golden light. Nawi was frozen. For the first time in my life, I couldn't read her. Had no idea what she was thinking or if she even knew what to think. O came up behind her, but before he could put an arm around her, and I mean, he was literally in the process of lifting his arm, she motioned for him to stop. So he did, and he took a step back. Now we looked into her mother's eyes, then reached over and gently wiped the tears with the back of her hand. You can't heal her? Nawi asked, and Wusa simply shook her head. Some wounds are too deep to heal, even for me. And then there were the rules. Ah, yes, the rules of creation. That was the power that the god of war was seeking. The ability to recreate the rules. As long as there is life, there will be death. One cannot exist without the other, Uxa said. And those were the rules. Rules not even the goddess herself could break. But was it seriously that simple? I've always been afraid of it. <laughs> Death. I can remember the first time I realized that people died. I thought about what it would feel like to not feel anything ever again. To not think another thought. And when I thought that, I decided that if I didn't think about it, it would simply go away. Mom and Dad would always be around. So would O and my Naui, of course. If I didn't give it my attention, then I'd never lose anybody close to me. At the time, I was seven, I think, and it made perfect sense. How did it happen? Naui asked, and I could feel the guilt swelling up inside her. She should have been here. In battle is all that the goddess said, protecting me. Of course, it was what she'd done before time began. Protected her creator at all costs. That is what she was made to do. But those weren't the tears of someone who'd lost a guardian. Those were the tears of a mother that lost her child. Wusa took Naoi's hand and held it tight. There was nothing you could have done, she said, looking into her daughter's eyes. Watching this, I couldn't help thinking how much Naoi couldn't stand Jima. No matter what she did, Naoi never felt like she was good enough for her. From the very beginning, when Ok invaded Naoi's home, she'd been trying to prove to herself 
trying to show Jimon the Lightning Tribe that she was a warrior, that she belonged. I'd always known that that is what she was. I always believed in her, but the others, it took time. And it wasn't about the power, about the fact that she was the daughter of a goddess. In the end, it was about her will. And looking back on it now, Naoi's belief in herself. Naoi stood up and I saw an expression that shook me from the inside out. There was an anger that burned inside her with such fury that I thought the house might ignite into flames. Honestly, it scared me. She asked, where is he? And by he, she was of course talking about Seth. He was the one that had brought tears to her mother's eyes. The one that had taken the life of someone that she actually cared for as hard as that might be to believe. Love is a complicated thing. Wusa looked up at Naoi and for the first time, I believe I saw fear in her eyes. He was wounded, she said. And it was immediately obvious to me who inflicted that wound. The soldiers that survived took him and escaped. The soldiers that survived. In some ways, I was actually glad that we weren't here. I was pretty sure that if Seth lost soldiers, then the tribe had lost warriors as well. It must have been brutal. Wusa said that the Seekers were out searching for the god. Naoi nodded, said that she'd join the search. But first, her mother said, standing up, we're going to take Jima home. I had a sense that taking her home meant to bury her, like maybe a funeral or something. Naoi paused. It was immediately obvious that she didn't necessarily agree with this. After all, she was a warrior first, and her instinct was to hunt Seth down and punish him for what he did. But Wusa was a goddess, the creator of all things, and so now he might disagree, but I don't think she had a choice in the matter. Now he nodded. Then she turned toward me and O oh, and said, They are coming with us. There's this saying I've heard about people's jaws dropping to the ground. I'd never understood what that meant until that moment. The tribe didn't allow men in Nunubia. Now he didn't turn back toward Wusa. She stared at both of us with the intensity of a son. Wusa smiled, said that she wouldn't have it any other way, and I thought, oh my god. I'm going to Nunubia. Then she asked us to gather around and said, close your eyes. And suddenly we were moving. It was the same feeling I'd felt when she'd taken us back through time. But it definitely didn't last as long. In fact, it seemed like it was over a few seconds after I shut my eyes. When I opened them, the first thing I saw was 
a crumbling archway and the stars above it in the night sky. I shivered. Deserts were cold places at night. <laughs> I looked around. The ruins of Kush. And it was exactly the way Naui had described it. Crumbling pyramids. The skeletal remains of statues that were missing heads and limbs. And this archway. Naui stepped up beside me and pointed toward the area where the sand would drain away to reveal steps. That hadn't happened yet, and I looked around for Wusa, but she wasn't with us. Naui said she was probably having a talk with the leadership of New Nubia. Well, that made sense. In the history of this civilization, no male had ever set foot on its grounds, and I was sure that there were members of the tribe that didn't want us there. She's Queen Mother, Naui said, digging her foot into the sand and allowing it to drizzle off the front of her shoe. They don't have a choice. I was feeling pretty confident myself. I mean, they weren't going to turn down the goddess of creation, right? That confidence lasted for about a half hour. Then I started to get hungry and thirsty. And it was getting colder. Now I and O cuddled together and I activated my shadow armor. A split second after I did this, there was a blinding light in my eyes. I couldn't see. I heard O yelling at me to turn the armor off. What? Why would I do that? Suddenly, I was staring at the tip of a staff that was about an inch away from the bridge of my nose. Don't move, is what I heard. The light made it impossible to see the face of whoever it was, but I knew it was a woman, and she was massive, at least a foot taller than me, maybe more. There was a flash, and the figure was suddenly on her back, but back on her feet before I could blink. Then I felt Naui pull me away, and she stepped up, Aja blazing in her hand, eyes emanating golden light. I blinked again, and the woman was on the ground, Naui standing over her with the tip of Aja pointing at her chest. Stay down. <laughs> there was a deadly calm in Naui's voice. One that I recognized, and I hoped, for that warrior's sake, that she remained exactly as she was, perfectly still. Then another voice, just as calm, said, Naui, stop. I turned and saw another woman, gray braids flowing into a tight bun with eyes that seemed both gentle and fierce. Naui looked up and quickly lifted Aja and bowed her head. The woman walked over to her and Naui raised her head, paused, and hugged her. At first the woman didn't hug her back, just stood there with a look of confusion, then gradually wrapped her arms around Naui as well. Nafisa. This had to be Naui's teacher, and if that was the case, the usual greeting would have been her laying the back of her hand against Naui's cheek. So, Naui hugging her must have been quite strange. Nafisa eventually stepped back and gave me and O a quick look, before turning around and heading toward a stairway that led underneath the sand. 
Now we followed, and at first me and O just stood where we were, unsure if we were supposed to follow or not. Now he looked back and wildly motioned for us to come on. We both looked at each other, then ran to catch up. Honestly, I couldn't tell what Nafisa thought of us, at least from that first look. And I think that kind of made me more nervous. We caught up to Naui just before we began our descent into New Nubia. And I must tell you, it's one thing to imagine something in your head, but something altogether different to actually experience it. The first thing I noticed, far below, was the Nile. <laughs> it snaked and stretched as far as my eyes could see. I didn't expect that the light from the miniature sun hovering above it, the sun that Wusa had made especially for New Nubia, would make the Nile's water sparkle like that. And then there were the pyramids that dotted a lush green landscape. They were enormous, much bigger than I'd imagined. And the smell reminded me of the redwood forests we met Anaya in. It was that same pure smell that filled your lungs. I drank it all up with my nose with the understanding that this would be something that I'd remember for the rest of my life. As we approached the bottom, I saw several warriors waiting for us. They were staring at us like we were aliens, and to them, we must have been. I wondered how many had actually seen a boy or a man, for that matter. After the tribe had won the war, all they did was live and train in New Nubia. There was no need to visit the outside world, so we were, in a very real sense, aliens. The smallest of them had O by an inch. In other words, compared to me, they were giants, and most of their attention, by the way, seemed to be focused on O. Why was I not surprised? Nafisa aggressively shooed them away, and they scattered, giggling as they ran. I had the sense that they weren't much older than us. Well, I had no idea how old they actually were. For all I knew, they were thousands of years old. But the way they looked at us, they were like teenage girls. Before I knew it, Nafisa was walking again. It didn't seem to matter that we weren't close by. It seemed like we could have walked around, explored on our own, something I really wanted to do, but then I thought about that guard that came after me in the ruins. I wondered how she could have known that I'd activated my armor. When I asked Naui, she said that the tribe tightened security after Seth's escape. They had devices hidden in the ruins that were able to detect things like shadow armor. Made sense. I knew that everything the tribe created was organic, and I wondered how these devices were made. Were they alive, like that prison? Then something caught my attention. A pyramid in the distance had what appeared to be a glowing eye at its tip. Ah, the Seekers. Now we confirmed this, looking annoyed. This was because I kept tapping her on the shoulder every five seconds to ask this and other things. I wondered if Asha the Seeker was there as well. 
Seeing a familiar face, I thought, would make things feel a lot better. Then I saw lightning flashing over and over again, just beyond the pyramid. They seemed to be striking these trees, and the trunks on these trees, they were as thick as redwoods that had emerald green leaves, which <laughs> made no sense because they should have been on fire, but they weren't. In fact, the lightning strikes seemed to be causing them to glow. I'd never seen anything like it, and I could never recall Naoi telling me about it. After I tapped her shoulder yet again, and she shot me a look of, if you tap me again, you'll wish you didn't, she said it was where Aja was created, and didn't say another word about it. But, but I, I had so many questions. Why didn't the trees burn? Where would you get the seeds to plant such a tree? Do you have any idea what it would mean if we had wood that was resistant to burning? It would be an incredible advancement. Of course, I didn't ask any of these questions. I'm curious, but I'm not stupid. Then I remembered the Ankh, the one that trapped us in the living prison. I realized that this was where Naoi had gotten the wood I used to create it. I was walking and staring at this spectacle in the distance when I ran into a wall. And that wall happened to be a warrior who was standing in a huge line. She glanced toward me, then turned away without the slightest bit of annoyance and without making a sound. I hadn't noticed her or the thousands of other warriors in that line because I was so focused on the lightning strikes and the trees, but it wasn't only that. You could literally hear a pin drop, no joke. Thousands of warriors in complete silence, and the line seemed to lead into one of the pyramids. Nafisa and Naoi were bowing toward that pyramid. I caught O's eye, and we kind of shrugged our shoulders and bowed too. Then I remembered, elder warriors. Naoi had forgotten to bow the last time she was here. This was where the elder warriors went to rest. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Naoi and Nafisa straighten up and head toward the pyramid. Me and O followed. As we walked, I took in more of the line and saw that it was way longer than I thought. There were so many warriors. I never realized how big the tribe actually was until that moment. The biggest woman I'd ever seen in my life was guarding the entrance. She had muscles on top of muscles, and I think I came up to about her waist. When she saw Nafisa, she bowed and immediately stepped aside. We entered the pyramid, and day literally turned to night. We were suddenly in a field. There was emerald green grass and a night sky thick with stars. I knew we'd stepped inside a pyramid, but everything I saw and that breeze, warm like a spring day, it told my senses that we were outside, floating about Ten feet off the ground was the glowing figure of Jima. I 
could kind of make out her details and, well, the long silver hair, but she was pure light, pure energy. Standing directly below her in a circle were Anaya, Elder Warrior, Asha the Seeker, and Safina the Jailer, heads all bowed. In the center of that circle was Wusa, who was on her knees. Her head bowed as well. She was directly underneath Jima. I was waiting for someone to start speaking, talking about what Jima had meant to them, the things they'd always remember about her, but no one said anything. It felt so odd to me, the silence. Then I thought, maybe this was exactly how they grieved. Naoi first took my hand, then O's, and held on tight. She bowed her head too, and I knew because of our connection that I could have listened to her thoughts, but I didn't. Those were private between her and her memories of Jima. I closed my eyes. I'd been so scared of Jima in the beginning. She practically threatened me when I was seven and saw Naoi using her super strength. But then I thought about when Wusa took us back through time and the way Jima followed Wusa around like a puppy dog. The goddess was the only mother she'd ever known, the only being, I believe, she ever truly loved. After a while, I opened my eyes and I saw Wusa stand up, then gently lift Naoi's chin. She looked up at Jima then turned back to Naoi and nodded. Naoi stepped away from us, raised Aja, her weapon, and a piece of the energy that Jima's remains were composed of flew into the staff. It glowed for a moment, then faded. Asha lifted her ring, and a piece of Jima flew into the ring, glowed, then faded. Then the other warriors outside entered and lifted their weapons, each one at a time, and a, a tiny piece of what composed Jima flew into them, and I realized all of these warriors would carry a piece of Jima with them, always. Now he motioned for me and O to follow her out of the pyramid. Neither Nafisa, Wusa, or anyone else noticed. Once outside, we all walked away from the crowds. Then Naoi stopped us, and with her eyes ablaze with golden light, said, It's time to find him. Time to end this for good. On March 9th, the adventure continues, and coming soon, the chronicles of Detective Bender, the super secret adventures of George, and monsters. Stay tuned.